Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Again, not the words of man, but the word of God may go forth with power. Lord, we pray also for Pastor Joshua as he ministers to our junior high and high schoolers. We pray also for those that are down in the children's ministry. Be with those teachers as well. And be with those who are watching us on live stream, those who will watch later. Lord, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so let's catch you up. So we know that that First Kings is the end of Dave, King David's life and the transformation to King Solomon. And so David is only in the first couple of chapters. He's at the very end of his life. And we saw that people tried to take advantage because King David was dying. And they tried to step in and grab the, you know, take over the throne. And then David had to, you know, he kind of bucked up at the end there, asked God for help. And he gave Solomon some clear instruction and put Solomon on the throne even before his own death. Now, King Solomon, we know early on in this text that we see that he, you know, has asked for wisdom. God visits him. God speaks to him in a dream and he asks him for anything he wants. And what do you want? And he could have asked for riches. He could have asked for, uh, you know, his enemies to all die. He could have asked for a long life. And what he asked for instead was that he would have understanding to be able to, to judge the people of God in the right way. And God said to him, because you did not ask for riches and you did not ask for victory over your enemies, I'm going to give you not only what you asked for, but the things you didn't ask for. Now, we know that Solomon had wisdom and we saw that God used it right away when he was judging between the two women who were arguing over whose child it was. And, and he had wisdom to know that if he offered to you know, cut the baby in half, that the real mom would step up. And sure enough, she did. But while he has great wisdom for other people. We're going to see that King Solomon, much like his father, David, didn't always have wisdom when it came to his own life. Because right off the bat, we saw that Solomon married uh, an Egyptian woman and he did it to, we'll see some of it tonight, to form a bond with the king in Egypt. And we know that he was being unequally yoked and that's not what God would have him to do. And we're going to see that Solomon, while David had a problem with women, Solomon really has a problem with women. And we're going to see that he ends up with, a, with between concubines and wives. He has a thousand women in his life. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. I, can't, I think he'd try to marry some people twice, not realizing he was already married to them. And so in the last few chapters, we've been seeing that God moves on Solomon's heart to finish what his dad could not, and he builds the temple. And if you're here the last several weeks, uh, we'll go over that quickly. We talked about last week just how, how God brought David or brought, brought the, um, excuse me, Solomon to, to finish the, the temple. And when he finished the temple, what I loved about it is that he did, he did the temple the best he possibly could. He gave the best he had to the Lord. And he enlisted Hiram, the king of Tyre, who had been a good friend of his father, to get the best things, the best wood, he used the, the cedars of Lebanon, to get the best craftsmen to build something for God. Guys, when we do something for the Lord, we should give God our best, not the rest. Can I get an amen? Before, we, before we, anything else, we give God the best that we have. We don't give God the last of our time, the last of our resources, the last of our gifting, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We give him the best that we have. And so he did that. And then last week we saw him dedicating the temple. 
And so he calls the people together. It's 11 months from the day the temple's finally been built. Took him seven years to build the temple and then 13 years to build his own palace. So he's built, it's in place. The temple is finally there. King David had been in the palace and looked out and said, how can I live in a palace when God lives in a tent? They've been in the land of promise at this point for 430 years and they still had a tabernacle and never had a real building for worship to the Lord. So now the building is in place. He dedicates it to the Lord. We see Solomon's prayer. One of his prayers that will be reflected in this morning's te- this evening's text is he says, you know, Lord, I pray that you would hear the prayers of your people when they come here. Lord, I pray that when they, when they look to, to the temple that you will hear their prayers. And we're going to see God answer his prayer tonight. He then also, again, gathered all the people together and they made huge sacrifices, almost 150,000 animals they sacrificed. And again, why, do we, why did there need to be so much shedding of blood? Because we needed to recognize that while salvation is a free gift, it wasn't free. It, come at a, it came at a great price. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness for sin. And in the old covenant, all that shedding of blood was all pointing to the coming Messiah. And of course, praise God, when Jesus died on the cross for us, all our sins have been washed away and we don't have to drag bulls and goats in here anymore. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I'm so thankful for that. So now we come to chapter nine and we're going to look at the entire chapter, Lord willing, but we're really going to focus on the first part a lot. And I tell the message to obey is better than sacrifice. And we're going to see that in tonight's text as the Lord answers the prayer of Solomon, he's going to address Solomon again. And as he addresses Solomon again, he's going to give Solomon some heavy warnings. And it's a warning not just for Solomon, but it's a warning for all of us. You know, every time I sin, every time you sin, if you're a born again Christian, you're running through the conviction of the Holy Spirit to do it. Can I get an amen to that? You, you know that what you're about to do is wrong, especially if you're really growing, if you're spiritually mature, you know before the word comes out of your mouth that it's already wrong. And you know, you've heard me say it many times, the sign of spiritual maturity is the amount of time between when you sin and when you repent gets shorter and shorter and shorter. It goes from maybe months to weeks to days to hours to seconds to nanoseconds, amen? Where you know that the conviction of the Holy Spirit drives you to your knees and you cry out to the Lord for forgiveness. Well, the warnings of God, when God warns us, he knows when he's warning you in your heart, when the Holy Spirit is convicting you, when you open up the Bible and the Lord speaks to you through his word, or maybe God will even bring someone into your path to warn you to exhort you, to encourage you. It may even happen in a sermon like tonight. And so when God warns us, he's not doing that for no reason, amen? And we're gonna see in tonight's text, he's gonna warn Solomon. And so, this will be the second time he's given him almost the exact same warning. And if God warns you twice, he knows you're headed in the wrong direction. So to obey is better than sacrifice. First nine verses, take heed lest ye fall. We're gonna see that God hears our prayers that life works better when we do things God's way. We'll see the blessings, that blessings and obedience go hand in hand. We'll see that the way of the transgressor is hard. To obey is better than sacrifice. The highest form of worship is obedience. And we need to pay attention to God's warnings. Then we're going to see, be a man of your word. And this is in the dealing with Solomon and his Gentile neighbor, the king, and how he worked with him. And as believers, everything we do, we are representing Christ. So, Most of you guys know I have a full-time sales job. 
And in my sales job, I have a couple of hundred accounts. Uh, they all know I'm a pastor. They all know I'm a Christian. And I want to do my job with character and integrity because I'm a reflection of Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? So whatever you do, you do it as unto the Lord. And even as Solomon is interacting with, we're going to see that he has a little bit of a disagreement with the king of Tyre, that we ought to honor the Lord in all we do. Be faithful with what God has given you. We're going to see that Solomon is the wealthiest man in the world. And we're going to see that his example of how he's being faithful with what God has given you. Use the gifts, use your gifts to minister to others. God did not give you gifts so you could bury them in the sand. Amen. If any of you are, you know, I have over 5,000 Facebook friends. If any of you are on my Facebook page, you've seen there's been a lot of attacks coming my direction because we're having church. And it's constant that I don't care about people and I don't love people. And if I loved people, we would all go hide in a cave and wait for Jesus to come back. But the reality is that God has not given us a spirit of fear. That word is cowardice. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And my heart is to be gracious and kind. And the, but the reality is God doesn't want us to take our gifts and bury them in the sand out of fear. One of the things, one of the guys that attacked me, I've never even met him. He said, you're probably one of those pastors that just goes to his church and has a bucket passed around numerous times and you get rich and all you do is talk from your pulpit and you never share your faith with anybody. And I'm thinking, wow, obviously we've not met. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Because the reality is that I pray for divine appointments every day, and I pray that you do as well, because guys, we're called to be salt and light wherever we go, amen? And we're called to use the gifts God's given us for his kingdom and for his glory and not for ours, amen? By the way, one of the things I said is, you know, we've had a lot of people get saved in this church since last March, and I'm so thankful we stayed open and people got saved. Can I get an amen to that? Because you know what's more important than physical health? And look, if you're physically ill or you're somebody who's concerned and you're watching on live stream, God bless you, watch on live stream. That's okay. But you know what? I'm far more concerned about people's spiritual eternity than their temporal physical health. Amen? Now, again, we want people to be healthy. But I'll tell you what, if I had to trade my life right now for all the people that got saved since March, give me COVID, I'll go to heaven. And you, and you know what? You can't threaten me with heaven because heaven's better. Can I get an amen to that? So be faithful with what God has given you and use your gifts to minister to others. Make worship a priority. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, the closer you get to God, the more you want to worship. Amen. And by the way, when we get to heaven, one of the only things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven is worship. We're not going to be sharing our faith in heaven. Everybody's saved. Amen. We're not going to have any Bible studies because the word is going to be there. Jesus Christ. Amen. But one thing we are going to do is worship. And if you don't like to worship, you're not going to like heaven much because it's going to be holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then finally, stay humble, broken, and desperate. We're going to see that while Solomon has so much, when we have too much, sometimes it's easy for us to cease to be desperate for God. And I pray always for myself, Lord, don't give me a dollar more than I, if, don't give me a dollar more than I need because I don't want to have so much that I cease to cry out to you and I start to put my faith in my bank account or my own sales abilities or whatever it might be, keep us humble, broken, and desperate. So let's begin there to obey is better than sacrifice. And we're going to begin there in verse one, looking at take heed lest ye fall. Warning for all of us. So Solomon, just remember, taken about 20 years to build the temple and his own private palace and a bunch of other buildings that went with it. So about 20 years have passed. We come to verse one. 
And it says there, and it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. So the Lord had appeared to Solomon 20 years earlier when he first became king, shortly after King David had died. And it was a time when Solomon no doubt felt overwhelmed. Most believe that Solomon was a teenager. And imagine becoming the king as a teenager after a couple of your brothers have already died trying to become king. And your father, who while he had struggles, would arguably be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And now you're taking his place and you're a teenager. And so what does he do? He's crying out to the Lord and the Lord appears to him and speaks directly to him. And one of the things he says is when the Lord appeared to him, he said, ask what I shall give you. We mentioned this. And he shows wisdom beyond his years because he asked for understanding. He asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for riches. I wonder how many millennials would ask for wisdom today. Can I get an amen? Give you whatever you want. I want fame. I want fortune. I want everyone to know my name. And that's not what he asked for. He asked for wisdom, not long life or riches. And we know that God gave him both because he asked for the, the, the wisdom and he didn't ask for the temporal things of this life. But when he gave them those things, God gave him what he asked for. God's blessing also came with a warning and a promise. Because when he went back in first Kings chapter three, in verse 14, he said this. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So you'll see this throughout scripture. You see in the New Testament as well. It'll say if and then. Now, there are promises God makes in his word to us that are unconditional. If you believe in your heart and confess your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You've been blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and assured. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I go to prepare a place for you. And he's coming back. All those promises are unconditional. But there are things in the word of God where there's a warning that comes with it. If you will obey me, then I will lengthen your days. If you will walk in the statutes as your father David did, then I will continue to bless generation after generation that comes behind you. And we're going to see later on the text here in just a couple verses that he says, basically, your family will be on the throne forever. Now, he says, if, because obedience is required. To obey is better than sacrifice. Now, are we saved because we obey? What's the answer? Absolutely not. Because the reality is we would, none of us would be saved. Okay. But that being said, by your fruit, they shall know you. See, works are not the source of salvation, but they are the fruit of salvation. And if somebody truly loves the Lord, they're, we're going to want to obey him. And you heard me say this a lot. The law and the word of God is not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It is a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. Amen. The reason the word of God is given to us is so that we know, may know him and make him known. We may have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe and we may walk and live a life that will bring glory and honor to his name. He gives us his law, not to put a, a grip on us, not to put a weight upon us. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He gives us the word of God to direct us to live a life that will be fruitful and will bring glory to his name. Amen. So the word of God is good. 
And the only way we know right from wrong, again, if you don't spend time in this book, you're going to have a problem. You've heard me say it. It's right. It's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How's that possible? Because God wrote the book, amen? And we want to read the book, don't wait for the movie, open up the word of God, spend time in it, and we'll know the difference between the counterfeit that the world tries to feed us and the truth that can be only found in the word of God. And so there came a warning the last time, if you will obey me, if you will follow my statutes, then I will bless you. We'll talk about this more. Rebellion? or blessings from God, choose one, because you're not going to have both. Can I get an amen to that? You cannot live a life in open rebellion against God. You cannot live a life contrary to what God commands and, and make that the way of life and then expect God to bless you in the midst of it. Now, sometimes we'll see it and we'll think, well, that person is living a horrible life and they're blessed. Define blessing. I'm not talking about temporary stuff. I'm talking about an eternal walk with the Lord. Again, the gifting was to be used for God's glory, not his own. As God supernaturally called and gifted Solomon, God's blessings and promises were conditional and they were tied to his faithfulness and his obedience. Rebellion against God or the blessings of God and fellowship with God, you can only choose one. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And again, I don't want this to sound like a works-based salvation because that's not what it is. But again, it's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. Amen? And again, it's by our fruit that they shall know us. We also know that the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible tells us if we choose to disobey God, then we are going to go through difficulty. And again, it's because we have thought we know better than God and we've choose to live our life contrary to his word and his will and his commands for us. You know, our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. He'd rather, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. But you cannot rebel against God and his word and his commands and expect him to bless you at the same time. So God's warnings are given because the hearts of men are hard. Look at, so, so after 20 years later, he'd heard that the first time. Walk in my ways, I will bless you. Look what happens in verse three. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer. I underline that in my Bible. Isn't it good to know that God hears our prayers? Can I get an amen to that? You know, it's a blessing when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. And, the only, you know, back in the days of the temple, only the high priest, only on uh, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, only he could go into the Holy of Holies. Only he could be literally enter into the place where God's glory dwelt. You know what's great? It's you and I, because the veil has been torn, we can enter into God's presence anywhere and anytime. We can, we can seek the Lord. He hears our prayers and he is faithful and just, not only to forgive us, but again, to listen to our prayers. What a blessing that is. The creator of the universe hears your prayers. When we get to heaven, we're gonna be blown away by how great heaven is. And when we see the Lord, we're gonna say, if I had known you were this great, I would have prayed more. Can I get an Amen. And the only reason our problems are great is because we, our God is too small. And when our God is great, our problems are small. That's why David didn't see 11 foot 750. He saw a mere man against almighty God. Amen. So the Lord hears our prayers. The Bible says, you shall make my father's house. So what? A house of prayer. Pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. He says, I heard your prayer and your supplication that you made before me. And I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever and my eyes and heart 
will be there perpetually. What a blessing to hear. He cried out, Lord, when people pray to you at this, in this temple, Lord, will you hear their prayers? Lord, when they pray in the direction of the temple from far away, Lord, will you hear their prayers? Will you look down upon them? Will you bless them, Lord? And so he prays that and the Lord comes back and says, yes, I'll do it. I will hear their prayers. My presence will be upon the temple. We know God's not limited to the temple, but his glory would be there. And when the people would gather together, they they would meet the Lord in his temple. So the first, the Lord assured Solomon that he heard his prayer. He would always abide in the temple. His people could always count on his eyes resting on them and his heart compassionately responding to their needs as Solomon requested. Now, let me say this. You hear things like this, that God hears our prayers, but you know what? Sometimes we'll say, well, I pray a lot and it doesn't seem like God hears my prayers. Well, let me tell you something. He always hears it. Sometimes he says no. Amen. He knows what's best for us. He knows that maybe that promotion at work we prayed for or that person we wanted to date or whatever that thing is that we wanted, he, know, he, may, he, he knows better than us. And when we get to heaven, we'll have understanding. But when you learn to trust God, that when he says no, he knows what's best for us. Amen? So God hears our prayers. And the Lord accepted the temple as his house and would put his name there forever. You know, what's interesting is people will say, well, wait a minute. His name's not there now. The temple's not even there. We know that we'll see this as we go later through this text, that the temple isn't going to last all that long in, in, in the space of time. By the time we get to the time of Ezekiel, the time of Daniel, what's going to happen is uh, the Israel is going to lose their land. They're going to be uh, you know, put in exile in a sense. They're going to be on the run, and the temple is going to be destroyed. So when he says that his eyes will be on it forever, again, this is kind of a – has a um, – a relationship of obedience to it in the old covenant, the ark. But in the new covenant, where does the Holy Spirit dwell now? He lives in us. And what are, so what are we? We are the what? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, look, I will always dwell within the temple. And the temple is no longer on Mount Moriah. It's no longer. Now it's going to be there again. Amen. We know that from scripture. But you know what? Right now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what's even more amazing than being able to go to the temple and the Lord being there, the Lord is with you. He never leaves you nor forsake you. And wherever you go, you bring the Holy Spirit with you. Amen? So when you walk into work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just showed up. When you are walking through the grocery store, the Holy Spirit is there. Guys, we are tools in the hands of the master. Amen. And we're called to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. And he says, look, my eyes will be there. My heart will be there. But here comes the warning. Look at verse four. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart, in an uprightness and do according to all that I've commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my commandments, then I will establish your throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. So there is, here it is again. If, then, if you will obey me. Now, I will say this. It doesn't seem like he's setting the bar for integrity too high because he says the bar like your, your father, David. Now, David was an adulterer and a murderer. Amen. And when we look at David, the Bible also says he's a man for God's own heart. And this should be a word of encouragement for all of us. Because here's the thing. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. David had a, a woman problem. 
David had, when he, when he saw Bathsheba on the rooftop, he had been a mighty warrior. He was the guy leading people into battle. And what happened? He became lax and he stopped going out to battle. And instead he was sleeping in the palace while, the, while his men were out fighting. And it says he gets up in the afternoon. He's been sleeping all day and he stumbles out on the rooftop. You know, he should have been fighting in the battle. He would never have been tempted by Bathsheba to begin with. Amen. But here's what happens when we check out, when we're not using the gifts God's given us, when we're sitting on the sideline, I promise you, Satan knows it, temptation's coming, amen? We talk about this often with temptation. It's not just an opportunity to fall, it's an opportunity to grow. Because when you resist the devil, what does he do? He flees from you. So every time you're tempted, that doesn't come from God, it comes from the enemy. And when you're tempted and you resist the devil, he flees from you, so it's an opportunity to grow. You can't pray that the temptation, well, you can pray the temptation will go away, but that's not really the right prayer because Satan doesn't hear your prayers or he doesn't honor them anyway, amen? So what do you do? You pray, Lord, when temptation comes, give me the strength to turn away from it, amen? I pray that temptation is an opportunity for me to grow spiritually, And so here's this exhortation, letting him know that even as David walked, now, why is David a man for God's own heart? We talk about this a lot. King Saul and David, you can compare their sins. You could almost make a case that David was more sinful than Saul in some ways. But here's the difference. David repented, Saul didn't. You know what makes us men and women after God's own heart? Repentance, Amen. It's when we're convicted by our sin, we're driven to our knees, we ask for God's forgiveness, and he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Amen? So God heard Solomon's prayer, he answered his prayer, and then he gives them this command. Of the rest of verse 5 there, he says, I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So God promises Solomon that if he would obey God and follow his ways, that his kingdom would be established forever and that the, the dynasty of David would go on and on. And again, you might think this is purely an Old Testament concept, but it's not. You know, life works better when you do things God's way. Can I get an amen to that? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. He would much, do you know that, and I'll just say this, you know, God's not interested in you wanting to, you, you making sacrifices while living in open rebellion against him. God doesn't want, God's not really going to receive your worship. If you're, if you're walking in open rebellion against God, you're living an ungodly lifestyle. There's no reflection of fruit in your life. And then you want to sing a praise song to him. You know, what he would rather do is have you not sing any praises or not do anything else, but just obey him. Because again, obedience is the highest form of worship. Amen. You know, Christians don't tell lies. They just sing them sometimes. Amen. I surrender all. Really? It's I surrender some sometimes. Amen. And the reality is that where our heart is seen, where spiritual maturity is seen in the life of a believer is when we walk in faithful obedience to the Lord because we trust him and we listen, we heed his word. It's not the 10 suggestions. Can I get an amen to that? Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. When we walk in obedience, we experience a greater measure of God's love and his presence. God's promise of his blessing upon David's family and ancestry was tied to their integrity and obedience. And again, sometimes it appears from the outside that others are blessed, but it it all depends on what you uh, call a blessing. 
You see someone with a big house and a nice car and you'll say, well, that person's living an ungodly life and look how blessed they are. I'm going to tell you something. Stuff, it's all going to burn. Can I get an amen? They got a bigger pile of dirt than you do. It's all going to perish. It's not eternal. It's not going to outlast this life. And we don't, you know, we don't grade the, the levels of success based on how much wood, hay, and stubble that we have. Amen? It's really based on where we are with the Lord. What kind of relationship do you have with him? Do you know about Jesus or do you know him? Is he the priority? In the, do you, when you wake up in the morning, is Jesus the first thing on your mind? He should be. Amen? Yes, Lord, your servant hears. Begin your day with the Lord. Spend your day with the Lord. End your day with the Lord. You know what? Everything should run through the Holy Spirit filter before, before it goes from my head to my mouth. Can I get an amen to that? Living every day in light of eternity. Living every day in light of the fact that we're going to stand before the creator of the universe one day. And so David may have thought that he got away with adultery for a minute. You know, he committed adultery and found out that Bathsheba was pregnant and then had her husband killed because he wouldn't go in and sleep with his wife. And he may have thought for a while he got away with it. And sometimes we think we can live our lifestyle and God won't notice and we'll get away with it. You know, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen. And you know what? He's a God of love and grace and mercy, but he's also a God of holiness. And David got away with it for a while. And then Nathan showed up, told him the story about a man having a bunch of sheep and taking the one little lamb from the other man and, you know, stole it away from him and cooked it and fed it to his family and then David said, that man needs to die. And then Nathan said to David, you're the man. Thou art the man, David. And David repented. You know, guys, it's a lot better to repent before we get the thou art the man. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's so much better just to repent immediately, just to fall on our face before the Lord, just to keep short accounts with God. Amen. And again, this is not a works-based salvation, but this is fruit of really walking with the Lord. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And true blessings that will last are tied to obedience to the Lord. If Solomon and those came after him, walked in integrity and obedience to God's command, they would reign on the throne of Israel forever. Gee, I wonder how this is going to work out. Are they on the throne right now in Israel? No. So we know they failed. Look at verse 6 and 7 says there now, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me, here's the warning, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and this house which I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. This is a heavy warning because he tells them that if you follow after other gods, if you do not seek after me, he tells them the two things that matter the most in Israel to them right now, outside of God himself. One is the land. This is the land of promise that they've been delivered to after they were taken out of bondage in Egypt. God delivered them through Passover, the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross. Angel of death passed over. They were delivered out of bondage. Egypt is a type or a picture of the world. Amen. How were they delivered? You had to take the blood of the firstborn spotless lamb, had to be applied to the, to the post, you know, the shape of a cross. Angel of death passed over. They've been delivered out of bondage. They wandered in the wilderness. They were afraid to enter into the land because there were giants in the land, except for Joshua and Caleb. 
So they wandered in the wilderness until that entire generation died. But finally, the next generation entered in. And when they put their foot in the Jordan, the river parted. They entered into the land of the promise. God gave them victory over all of their enemies. This is the, now they've been in that land for over 430 years. And he says to King Solomon, if your sons, if you, if you fall away, if you begin to fellowship with the false gods of this world, if you turn away from me, I'm going to take this land back from you. This land that you've had for 430 years, this land of promise will be gone. And oh, by the way, that temple you just built, that temple that has people in awe when they walk by it, that temple where you know God's glory dwells, his glory is dwelling above the holy of holies, God's presence is there. Guess what? I'm going to take that building down. I'm going to take my presence away from it. And people are going to walk by. And when they see it, it's going to be destroyed. And when they see it, it says later that they're going to hiss. They're going to look at it and say, what happened here? So guys, here's the reality. Here's the sad truth. When we're walking with God, God uses us to be a testimony to people around us. But there can come a place of rebellion that is so strong that people will forget everything about anything you've ever done that's true before the Lord, and you will be typecast by that one sin you committed. Think of a pastor you may know that was used, or somebody in ministry that was used mildly by God, and then they committed adultery. When you hear that person's name, what do you think about? The adultery. You forget, could have been 40 years of ministry. Why? Because they have rebelled against God. Because they started to uh, cease to be humble and broken and desperate before the Lord. And they started following after their flesh. And now the consequences are that for the rest of their lives, that's what now God can forgive them, but the consequences can still remain. Amen. We can crawl, get on our knees and say, Lord, forgive me. He'll forgive us. But if I commit adultery tomorrow, I won't be the pastor of this church anymore. Everybody I've ministered to since I was a youth pastor back in 1988 will, will remember, oh, did you hear about Pastor Dave? He committed adultery or he stole money from the church or, what, or whatever I may have done. And guys, so he's saying, look, when we walk away from the Lord, people are going to walk by and, and we're going to see in the next verse, they're going to look on the temple and they're going to say that God is the one who allowed it to happen because his people were rebelling against him. It is so tragic. They said Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all the nations. Israel won't exist anymore. You know, we know this all going to happen. Again, we get to, to the time of Ezekiel and Daniel, that this is exactly what's going to take place. Babylon's going to come into the south and overthrow Jerusalem and Israel, and they're going to bring the temple to the ground. And the Assyrians are going to attack the north, and all of the children of Israel are going to go into captivity, and their land's all going to be lost. And why did it happen? Because they turned their backs on the true and living God and started following after the false gods. By the way, we're two chapters away from seeing Solomon, who's the wisest man on the earth, says in the text, the earlier text, that there'll be no one, no one's ever been as wise as you before you, and there will never one, never be another one as wise as you. Wow. And we're going to see in chapter 11, Two chapters from now, Solomon's going to turn his back on God. Why? Because he's going to follow after the gods of his wives. And sadly, it's going to bring destruction. 
They're going to cut off Israel from their land. The promised land will be gone. The land flowing with milk and honey. At this point in the land, again, 430 years, the land God prepared for them, defeated all their enemies. It's the most fruitful land in the world. If they turn away from God, it will all be lost. And the Lord's eyes would no longer be on the temple. This once majestic place of worship in God's presence will be destroyed and become broken down and a memorial to what once was. It's almost as if God's saying, look, I love my people. I've consecrated my house. My eyes and heart are on it, will be on it forever. But if you rebel against me and turn after other gods, you will lose. You'll lose your land of promise, the place of worship and sacrifice, and most importantly, my presence with you. Pastor Chuck Smith said this. He'd say it at every pastor's conference until he went to heaven six years ago. And he would say, guys, we're one generation from this movement being dead. As soon as we turn away from the word of God, even for a moment, this is what he said. Every denomination started well. The Methodists started well. The Lutherans started well. The Presbyterians started well. The Episcopalians started well. Some are still doing okay. But here's what he said. The movement becomes a memorial and the buildings become monuments to what once was as soon as we turn away from the Lord and the truth of his word. And this concerns me about churches in America today. And by the way, as I think about Israel, And I, you know, I don't believe in replacement theology. Israel's Israel. Can I get an amen to that? But that being said, we were founded, regardless of what anybody else wants to tell you, we were founded as a Christian nation. Amen. And as a Christian nation, I forget who it was that came and visited the United States. And he said, he looked for the greatness of America, you know, in our businesses and couldn't find it. He looked for the greatness of America, you know, in our, our community centers, couldn't find it. He looked for the greatness of America in our education and couldn't find it. And then he found the greatness of America in its churches. And he said, America is great because America fears God. And America will cease to be great when America ceases to fear God. And sadly, I think that's exactly where we are. Can I get an amen? Now, that being said, we're still here. And, you know, God spared, uh, would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 Christians. Well, we got a few more than that in California. may not seem like a lot more, but we do. Can I get an amen? And I know a lot of you are trying to move to Idaho and Montana. And some of you are already there on live stream. We miss you. Okay. <laughs> but we need some Christians to stay here. We need some Christians to stay here. Does California need Jesus? Amen. I used to go to India and, 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 you know, speak up to a thousand pastors at a time and teach them how to study and teach the Bible. And the last time I was there, I'm like, why am I, you should be coming to California. We need to bring some of you guys back where we are because we're more godless than India thought about being. But guys, we need to represent the Lord and be unashamed of the gospel. And we don't want the movement to become a memorial and the, again, the buildings to become monuments. And look what it says here. He says there in verse eight, and as for this house, which is exalted, he's talking about the temple. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? It's going to be so evident that God did it to his own people, that God brought brought about the righteous judgment to his own people. And they're going to know it. And the word hiss there literally means like to whistle. Like people walk by and go, what happened there? That was the most beautiful building in all of Israel and all of the world, really. And it was just a monument to God's glory. And now all of a sudden it's in rubble. What happened? He said, the people will say there at the end of the verse, the Lord has done this. And they will answer because they forsook the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity upon them. 
Again, he's speaking of Israel, but boy, there's a good application for our nation right about now. Can I get an amen to that? Look what it says there. They forsook the Lord. Are we forsaking the Lord in our country today? I'm not talking about the Christians. I'm talking about us as a nation. Aren't you surprised when anybody talks about God? And when they talk about God, his name is used more for a curse word than it ever is to honor him. Amen? Notice what else it says there at the end of that. It says, he's the one that brought their fathers out of Egypt. They have embraced other gods. We have so many gods in our nation right now. We have the God of money. Amen? You know, lovers of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, fame, fortune, pleasure, whatever. Everybody's, everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants everybody to know their name. And guys, you know what? The only, there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity and his name's Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not about men. It's not about pastors. It's not about churches. It's about the Lord. Amen. We should hope they all forget our names and remember his. Amen. And the exhortation here again to them was the Lord has brought this calamity on them. They were worshiping other things. We might say, well, we're not worshiping other things. Well, where do you invest your time? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? How, where do you invest your resources? Where do you invest your time? Where do you invest your gifts? Does he, is he coming first in your life? Does he get the best that you have? Or do you give him the leftovers? So that, you know, it says, he's saying, if, if you guys will follow me, I will bless you. This is, a prophetic, this is a prophetic warning from God. And Solomon and his descendants would turn away from following God and God will remove them from the land and God's going to remove their temple. And people knew that it happened because of their disobedience. And we've been, we'll be reading about this when we get to Jeremiah and Lamentations. Um, the old Bible break I told you guys about that I used to teach my kids. When he gets to Lamentations, it says, Lamentations, Israel cried all day because Babylon stole their friends away. Amen. Genesis, where it all began with Adam and Eve and Abraham. It goes right through the Bible like that. And Lamentations, Israel cried all day because Babylon stole their friends away. And why did that happen? Because they rebelled against God and they began to worship other gods. And God brought righteous judgment upon them. And God, you know, again, his desire is that none should perish, no, not one. And he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And I want to just say this. We've seen Solomon be warned twice. And when we get to chapter 11, he's going to act like he was never warned once. And the consequences are coming. I want, my exhortation for all of us is that we would heed the warnings of God. Amen? Whether it comes from opening the word, whether it comes from a conviction of the Holy Spirit, or it comes from some other Christian person in your life who speaks into your life and exhorts you and encourages you to turn away from your sin and surrender your life again to the Lord. You've heard me say before, you can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back. Amen. No matter how far, how far you turn away, he always desires that you would come back home to him. And when those warnings come, we continue to shake our fist at it. If we continue to walk past it, then there's a day coming when those consequences will come. We get to Ezekiel, Israel have turned away. Judgment has come upon them, as we talked about. Uh, the temple is destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. There was a young man by the name of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. They were dragged away by the Babylonians. And all of that came about because they did not heed the warning of God. Guys, when God warns you, take heed lest ye fall. He warns you for a reason. He doesn't warn you about things you're not tempted by. Can I get an amen to that? He doesn't warn, he doesn't, he doesn't warn me about... Drugs. I don't, you can put 500 pounds of cocaine in my driveway, leave it there for 10 years. It's not a problem for me. It's just not. I'm not tempted by 
cocaine like I'm not tempted by Brussels sprouts. I don't like either one, amen? (laughs) But the reality is the enemy knows what my temptations are and he knows what your temptations are, amen? And he's gonna tempt you with where your weakness is and he's gonna wait for the right moment to do it. And that's why we need to be walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Again, all this is happening right after Solomon built the temple. He probably feels like God's kind of blowing his gig right now. Lord, we just built the temple. This is amazing. Hey, we just had the dedication of the temple. We sacrificed 150,000 animals. Hey, all the people have gathered from all of Israel. We're praising your name. Now, God, you're telling me you're going to hear the prayers. You've heard my prayer and you're going to hear their praise. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful, majestic moment. We've been wanting the temple. We've been working on the temple for seven years around the clock. It's finally finished. What a glorious moment. And the Lord says, Heed my warning, because if you don't, I'll bring that temple down and I'll take you out of the land. Guys, sometimes when we're in a position where we're emotionally excited about what God's doing, sometimes we'll forget that we need to stay humble, broken, and desperate for him. Can I get an amen to that? We can get so caught up in what God's doing in our life, we, we might almost forget that we need him and that he should get all the glory for it, not us. Amen? And so that's the exhortation here. To Solomon. He probably never felt so close to God, and yet God warns him. God knows his weakness, as does the enemy. We must heed God's warning and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you don't have to fall big. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be adultery. It doesn't have to be uh, stealing. It doesn't have to be drunkenness. It doesn't have to be, you know, drug addiction. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, getting arrested. Sometimes the, the falls that we make are small. And you know what, though? Every time I fall small, I walk through the cross of Christ to get there. I, I don't heed the warnings that come from the Lord to get there. Can I get an amen to that? And so let's be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. God wanted Israel uh, to be God's ex- picture of grace to the Gentile nations. God wanted Israel to be the example of God's grace so that when the Gentiles looked at Israel, they would know that their God is God. And we see that happen throughout scripture with Israel, don't we? And so and your God is God. By the way, if you, have you ever been, who's been to Israel? Okay, quite a few of us. If you go to Israel and they take you up on top of that one mount and you're up there and you can see the other lands. And I remember being up there and he goes, see the beautiful, by the way, do you know Israel is the only country in the world that can grow every fruit and every vegetable. And it's the size of New Jersey because God's hand is on it. Can I get an amen? And you look out and it's beautiful and it's lush and they go, what's that dirt? Oh, that's Jordan. Oh, that's every other nation, dirt. It's the Middle East, been there? A lot of sand, can I get an amen? But God's land is flowing with milk and honey because God's hand is still upon Israel to this day and he's not done with them. And that's one of the reasons we planted a church in Calabasas, a city that's 70% Jewish. And while we were meeting in a synagogue until we finally got kicked out because of COVID. And guys, but the reality is God's not done with the Jewish people, amen? We teach a Jewish book about a Jewish savior. Amen. And we want to see them saved. And we want to see all people come to the knowledge of Christ. When we fall, God is mocked. We represent Jesus. When Israel fell, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, people would question him and doubt him or, or know that he brought the judgment upon his own people. Right now, guys, we're to represent the Lord And we don't want to miss the warnings. We don't want to be a person that all that is known of us is how hard we fell and how we're no longer 
being used by the kingdom of God. So point number one there, to obey is better than sacrifice. Take heed lest ye fall. He's celebrating God's doing an awesome work. And that's a time when we need to continue to remain desperate for God. When we see God doing great things, remain desperate for God. When we're going through difficult times, we remain desperate for God. Amen? And we need to always stay in that place. Point number two, be a man of your word. Now, this is going to go off track. Now, these verses now are going to just deal with some of the things that were going on in that time. It says, now it happened at the end of 20 years, the 20 years from building the temple and then building uh, his houses. Now, I will say this about Solomon. He spent seven years in the temple. He spent 13 years on his palace. What does that tell you? Okay, so he's still temple, uh, kind of paling in comparison to the side of the palace. But note, it says there, it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses in the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, has supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. The king Solomon then gave to Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. So the initial negotiation that we saw a couple weeks ago is that he went to Hiram, who was a good friend of his father, David, and he had actually used the cedars of Lebanon, where Tyre is, to build David's palace. And so he went to him to, see, to, to ask him if he could get wood from him, lumber from him, and also get craftsmen to build up the, the Lord's uh, temple. And because he loved David, he agreed to do it. Took him three years just to get the wood from Tyre down to Jerusalem. If you remember, they tied it up into rafts and they let it float down the river. And then they would gather it out of the river. It took three years just to gather all the stuff they would need to build it. Then it took them seven more years to build it. And the trade that they made, if you remember, was that David would provide the basically the food. And it depends on the interpretation for either the whole nation or certainly all of uh, the household of, of the king of Tyre. And so he'd been giving him all of that. Well, guess what? That seven years turned into 20 years. And so at some point, it looks like there was another negotiation that was made between Solomon and the king to say, hey, bro, you know, I gave you wood for a temple. I gave you gold for a temple. I gave you craftsmen. That was for seven years. Here we are 20 years later. We don't know exactly how that went, but he gave him 20 cities. He gave him some land. Now watch this. Then Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these? Which you've given to me, my brother. And he called them the land of Kabul. Don't name your kid Kabul because it means uh, good for nothing. It can also mean rubbish or garbage. So don't, I want, I want any Kabul Johnstons around here, right? The land of Kabul as they are to this day. So he sees what he's given. And by the way, as Look, as a side note, as believers, whenever anybody comes to my house to work, I always pay them even more than they ask for. And the only reason I do, and if I go to a restaurant, I tip what, why? Because our labor is worthy of their hire. Can I get an amen to that? And we want to be a Christ-like example. Amen? We don't want people feeling like they've been, you know, and by the way, because a lot of Christians will go, well, hey, you're my Christian brother. You're going to hook me up, right? Like, a, like 50% off, right? Uh, he's got to feed his family. Can I get an amen to that? But here, their friendship, it may have been that Solomon kind of took advantage of him or Solomon was so caught up in building the temple that he didn't really pay attention or keep track. But Hiram's not happy. 
And then this seems so totally random. And I looked at 10 commentaries and the writings of Josephus, and I still don't know what. Look what it says. Then Hiram sent the king 120,000 talents, 120 talents of gold. Wait a minute. He wasn't happy with what he got. And then he gave him 100. Let me tell you how much 120 talents is. It's 9,000 pounds of gold. At today's rate, I figured it out. It's $259 million. You're not happy with the cities you got, so you gave them $259 million. There's no explanation here. I don't know why he did it, but he did. Now, Josephus said, and Josephus is a non-biblical writer. He is a historian. He said that, that they had gotten into this thing where they were quizzing each other and sending each other riddles. And if you didn't answer the riddle, you had to pay. And because Solomon was the wisest man, he was getting all the riddles right. And Hiram was getting them all wrong. And not only did he get cities that were worth nothing, he had to give them 9,000 pounds of gold on top. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I don't like to speak into silence, but I'm telling you, I go through, I was like, okay, because it doesn't make any sense when you read this. You would think, now if it said, then Solomon gave him, oh yeah, okay. He's, he's making up for the mistake. That's not what it, that's not what it says. So I'm not sure what the payment's connected to. The last thing I'll do is speak into silence. But I just want to say this, that when we make a deal with somebody, let's, even, if it, even if it costs you something, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Let's be men and women of our word. Can I get an amen to that? Let's be people of character and integrity. If I promise somebody something, let's do it. And not only that, let's make sure if anybody's going to be wronged, if there's any question, let it be me and not the person I'm dealing with. Because you know what? We need to be far more concerned with people than we do with money. Amen? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is, is people. We're not taking anything else with, to heaven with us but people, and we need to be godly in the way that we treat people. Be a man of your word. Treat people fairly. Point number three, be faithful to what God has given you. So Solomon is the, not only the wisest man, but the richest man on the planet, verse 15. And this is the reason for the labor force with King Solomon raised to build his house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, Gezer, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire, had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city, and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. Now, a Milo is a, it's basically like a retaining wall. What would happen is they, they were trying to even the land in Jerusalem, and the temple was up on a high place, and they would bring in, you know, retaining walls and put, bring in, uh, you know, dirt or whatever to try to level it off. And so they literally spent a lot of time, you know, building up the, the city of Jerusalem, building up. And then they had these other cities that they had, and they made each of those cities a different fortress. And one of those cities, each of those cities is in different places. Uh, Hazir was a, was a city in the north, a Canaanite city in the north. It used to belong to the Canaanites, and they had taken it from them. Megiddo was located in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, Megiddo, Har-Megiddo, uh, that speaks of the land that is there. That's Armageddon, where that final battle is going to take place. If you've ever been to Israel, you go up where Elijah called fire down from the sky, and you look out, and you see Har-Megiddo, and it is the most amazing place for a battle to take place. And they're going to be mounted up there for that last battle. And guys, we're going to come back with the Lord and uh, everyone else is going to lose. Can I get an amen to that? 
and we're going to rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years. But Megiddo is kind of in the central portion of Israel. And then the last one you'll notice that's on there is Gezer is in the south. So Solomon builds fortresses to protect them. In case somebody comes from the north, there's a fortress in the north. There's a fortress in the central portion. If someone comes in from the side, they got a fortress there. If someone comes up from the, from the south, they've got a fortress there. Now, King Solomon didn't, you know, he's using that wisdom that he has. Even though he's a he-man who's she-weak, can I get amen to that? He's got a a woman problem. But notice that he's building up the city. And, you know, these guys 430 years earlier were making bricks and in Egypt. And now with God's grace and God's blessing upon them, they're the most powerful nation in the world. But as soon as they stop honoring God, they're going to be a footnote. And again, I, I don't believe in replacement theology, but as I was studying this, I just keep thinking of our country. We just keep rejecting God. You know, I don't find America in Revelation. I haven't seen it. You know, I see other nations that are still around. I don't know what God, you know, Lord help us. Can I get an amen? People need Jesus desperately. Notice it says in verse 17, And Solomon built Gezer, uh, Lower Beth Haran, Baloth, Tadmor, in the wilderness, in the land of Judah. The word Tadmor means palm tree. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There are going to be palm trees in heaven. Right, Jack? On live stream. He hates palm trees. They're going to be in heaven, bro. They weigh palms on Palm Sunday, bro. Palm trees rock. Amen. Notice it says there in verse 18 and 19, it says all the, it says all the storage cities that Solomon for his cavalry, cavalry, not cavalry, Calvary and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all the land of his dominion. So they built storage places. So they were storing up food. So look, they went from, you know, coming into the land, being scared half to death to now the ruling and reigning in the land. Now they have victory over all their enemies. There's now a temple in the land. There's now a place to worship. God's presence is there. The city of Jerusalem has been built up. There's a, there's a, a godly king on the throne. And now they have the most mighty army. We're going to see they have chariots. They have storage of food. They've got everything they can need. But guys, as soon as they turn their back away from God, all that other stuff won't be enough. See, the greatest military in the world without the Lord on our side. Guys, we don't want God to bless America. If we want God to bless America, America needs to bless God. Amen? And we want God to be glorified in our nation. We want to see God do great and awesome things. By the way, I love our country, but it doesn't even, it doesn't even begin to come close to how much I love our Savior. Amen? I'm a Christian first and an American second. And I know we can be very patriotic and I'm as patriotic as anybody, but I'll tell you what, we're not going to be Americans in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? And again, I pray for our nation. Our nation needs to repent, but know that the good news is I read the end of the book and God wins. Yay, God. Amen. And so they can't vote God out of office. He's in control. He's a faithful God. Now notice that he builds up an army here, builds up servants. It says there in verse 20, point number four, there, use the gifts, your gifts to minister to others. All the people who are left, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and as my kids would say, the termites, who are not of the children of Israel, that, the, that is their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely from these Solomon raised of forced labor as it is to this day. 
Now, God had commanded them when they went into the land of promise to wipe out the enemy completely. And some people struggle with that. But you need to understand that those enemies that God was having them wipe out, was they were being righteously judged because they were idolatrous. They were pagans. They had rejected God. You know, when, wipe, when he wiped out the Amalekites, people struggled with that. Why would he do that? Well, the Amalekites were attacking the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness and they went after the elderly and the sick and God saw them and he warned the Amalekites, I've seen what you were done, have done and I'm gonna bring judgment. He waited 300 years to bring judgment. And then when he told Saul to kill all the Amalekites, what did Saul do? Who remembers? He kept the king. He brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekites. It's like God, and see the Amalekites in the Bible are a type or a picture of the flesh. Remember they were fighting the Amalekites and God told Moses to hold up his hands. As long as his hands were raised, they had victory. And when his hands went down, they didn't have victory because how do we have victory over the flesh? Through worship. Can I get an amen? Through prayer. And if you remember, as their hands went down, who came alongside? Her and who else? Aaron. And they came and held up the hands and as long as they held up his hands, what happened? They had victory. Amen? So the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh. He brings back Agag, the king of the flesh. That's like saying, I gave my life to the Lord, but I'm hanging on to porn. Somebody just said, ouch, in their mind right now. I'm giving my life to the Lord, but I'm hanging on to my drugs. I'm giving my life to the Lord, but I'm hanging on to whatever that sin is that you know is the biggest sin in your life, and you're hanging on to it. And you remember what happened. I love it. Samuel comes walking out. He's in his 80s by then. And when he sees them, he thinks, oh, good, it's an old man. And what does he do to Agag? He chops him into pieces. He uses the sword to hack him up. How do we put the king of flesh to death with the word of God? Amen? Right? Amen? It's the sword that we have in our hands. So look, when he brings judgment, the judgment was to be complete, and he let them live. And when they let them live, you know what happens? Their pagan idolatry enters into the land. And we're going to see at the end of this that he's going to intermarry. He intermarries with some of these women coming from these pagan idolatrous people. And now he's going to turn away Solomon and start following after the gods of the pagans that he should have put to death when he got into, what they should have put to death when they got into the land. Guys, if we don't put our flesh to death, it's, you know, if you don't kill it yourself, it's, by the way, when King Saul dies, he dies at the hand of an Amalekite. You see, Amalekites were only alive because Saul didn't kill them all when he was supposed to. If you don't put the flesh to death, it'll kill you. Amen? So he's telling them, look, these people that you have not defeated, he used them and put them to manual label. He turned them into slaves. It's better if they had been eliminated, but he turned them into slaves. But the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced labors because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, his commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. So the children of Israel, verse 23, others were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. So the children of Israel were put in positions of authority to oversee the people below them. When you think about that, I thought about the millennial kingdom. When we come back with the Lord, the Bible says we're gonna rule and reign with him, Amen. Notice that it's the, it's the Amalekites, it's the pagans, it's the ungodly people who are the ones that are indentured servants. And those who were of Israel, they were the ones who were put in positions of authority. And the same will happen on the, during the millennial kingdom that when we come back with the Lord, we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Then it says, as we finish up, 
make worship a priority. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. Again, he built uh, retaining walls and, and built things around uh, her, the city of David. Now, three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar, which he had built for the Lord. He burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the temple. Three times a year. Now we know that there are three uh, specific times when they are to honor the Lord. Uh, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So those three times a year, Solomon made sure that the worship, these three feasts would take place at these very specific time that God would be honored and God would be glorified. By the way, Christmas isn't about a fat guy with a belt. It's Jesus' birthday. Can I get an amen? Happy birthday, Jesus. Merry Christmas. Not happy holidays. Stop it. Can I get an amen? It's, it's our Savior's birthday. Can you imagine if they threw a birthday party for you and everybody gave gifts to each other and they didn't even act like you were in the room? That's most houses in America on Christmas morning. Amen? It's our Savior's birthday. And we should just, again, we don't need to be militant about it, but we should let people know that Jesus is indeed the reason for the season. Amen? And then finally, stay humble, broken, and desperate. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth in the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who knew the sea, to work with the servants of Solomon. And they were, went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. Now they have a navy. You know, the Israel, I don't think Israel has a navy right now. They had a navy. You know what, if we hear, think about Israel, you know what people think of? Their air force. Israel's gnarly. They're, they're air force, no joke. I think, you know, God's on their side, but that's why. By the way, Harmageddon, we're standing there and it's a floor, it's a basin. All of a sudden, this plane comes flying out. We're like, where did that plane come from? They literally have, the ground opens up and they get launched from underground and come flying out. And you're like, man, hey, uh, Iran and Iraq, you might want to think twice. Can I get an amen? But what's happening here is, man, they've got an army. They've got chariots. They've got food, plenty of food. They've got the temple now. Jerusalem is beautiful. They've got the greatest army on the planet. They now have a, they have, fortresses in every place to make sure they don't get attacked. They've got a, a Navy now that will keep them safe on the waters and see all of that's fine until we get so trusting in that, that we cease to be desperate for God. Amen. Because what will happen is if there's enough money in the bank, if nobody's sick, if all the kids are doing well, you know, if, our, if we have in the White House who we think we want and all that kind of stuff, sometimes we just think, oh man, it's all perfect. And you know, I think it's, al it's almost better. It is better that there's things going on in this world that we can't control because it keeps us on our knees crying out to God. Amen. My most desperate prayers in my life, and it's not even close, it's when somebody I love is, is hurting or somebody is, you know, addicted to drugs or this struggle over here is happening and I can't fix it. You know what that does? I find myself on my face crying out to God, please, Lord, amen. And sometimes we can get into a place where everything's so good that we cease to be humble, broken and desperate before God. 
And my prayer for all of us is that doesn't happen. Amen. You know, maybe COVID came around to keep us humble, broken, and desperate. Amen. So, in closing, to obey is better than sacrifice. Amen. Take heed lest ye fall. God hears our prayers. Life works better when we do things God's way. Blessings and obedience go hand in hand. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The way the transgressor is hard. The highest form of worship is obedience. We need to pay attention to God's warning. If God's been warning you, if God's been convicting you about something in your life, don't wait another day. Get right with him tonight. Can I get an amen to that? If there's something in your life where you know it's wrong, where you're convicted when you get near it, when there's, you know, when the, the Lord continues to warn you and bring a message like tonight to grab a hold of your heart, it's time to get on your knees and ask God to forgive you and deliver you from that struggle. Point number two, be a man of your word. Treat people fairly. We saw that something went on there with, uh, with the King Solomon and the King of Tyre. And as Christians, we are to be an example to the world. Treat people fairly. Be faithful to what God, with what God has given you. Uh, use your gifts to minister to others. Make worship a priority. Never be too busy to spend time with the Lord and his people and remember all the Lord has done for you. Amen? Guys, can we worship him enough for all that he's done for us? If we worshiped him until time ended, which it won't, we can't worship him enough for what he's already done, let alone what he's going to do. And then no matter how great things may be going from your perspective, stay humble, broken, and desperate because guys, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're holy now, not because what we've done, because of what he did for us. Amen. Isn't it amazing that he suffered as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his? What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen. Can I encourage you? Come on Sunday for 2 Timothy. Paul's in prison. He's writing to his son, the faith Timothy. When Christians are being eaten by lions and set on fire for their faith. And I want you to know, he didn't tell them to hide. He told them, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Amen. And as Christians, I know there's this conflict that we should be hiding right now, that we should be hunkering down. I think this is the time when we need to be bolder than we've ever been before. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings we've seen in your word. I pray for all of us, we would heed those warnings. Heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Heed the conviction of the word that we read tonight. Heed the counsel we may have received from another. Lord, may we not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. May we not be satisfied to live lives outside of the center of your will. Keep us humble, Lord. Keep us broken. Keep us def desperate. Keep our eyes on you. We pray for our nation, Lord. Oh, Lord, may we return to our first love. Lord, may we not be the church of Laodicea. Lord, may we not be lukewarm. But Lord, I pray that we as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. But we should be surprised when people who know you act like we don't know God. Lord, give us faith. Give us divine appointments and opportunities to speak into people's lives. Lord, we want to see revival in our nation. We want to see people get saved. We want to see your name magnified and lifted up. And Lord, though you slay us, yet will we trust in you. We will praise you both in times of blessing and in times of adversity. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand.